Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, April the 9th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the draft is drawing near, so we'll go over my favorite potential Dolphins prospects by round. We bring back the prospect of the day segment, and just one day after the effusive praise of Raekwon McMillan, Ian Rappaport reports a visit from a player that would provide a perfect complement to McMillan in the middle of this defense. All of that and a lot more. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast and on the new Himalaya Podcast app. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WinkfulNFL. The show is at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com as well as the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and the Draft Dudes Podcast as we geared up for draft season here on the Locked On Network. We have a show here for you guys that is teeming with content. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. Some somber news to begin the podcast and something we didn't cover on yesterday's show. Brian Flores' mom passed away back in early March, and he spoke about it at the team-sponsored bike race event to benefit cancer research. It was a pretty emotional moment, and this might seem like something of a sinister thought, but this is a football podcast, and my takeaway is in reference to football, and that takeaway is this, that we got to see a very genuine man in a vulnerable spot, and the way he was able to effectively communicate his emotions, his love, and his gratitude for the event, and to be a part of it, was something I really, really like to see Flores talk about. Who knows if he's going to be a good head coach or a great head coach. I hope he will. I think he has traits that will lend him some help in getting to that level. But at the very least, we know that we got a good man and a voice that is easy to follow, which has not always been the case in coaches before Flores. But once again, the product on the field will ultimately determine whether or not he was suited for this job. But I like where we are right now. Let's go ahead and change gears here and jump into this article from LockedOnDolphins.com written by yours truly, as is typically the case. But first, some other draft news that I think might be a bit more pressing. There was a report on Sunday evening that Justin Hollins, the Oregon linebacker, was scheduled to visit with the Miami Dolphins. And we talk about him in tomorrow's article from Kevin Dern in the front seven piece, Miami's seven players they might look at in the front seven in this draft. And Justin Hollins fits kind of that Kyle Van Noy role as the long, lengthy linebacker that can help in the running game, can help reroute on the edge in terms of the pass game against tight ends, maybe even slot receivers, and do some stuff as a pass rusher inside and out to pair with Raekwon McMillan. I think that you can look at Kevin Dern's article for a better example of why this guy would be a great scheme fit in this defense possibly in the middle of the draft, day two, maybe early day three. We'll talk about that in the next segment when we get into the draft and my favorite prospects per round. And we're going to go ahead and do that right now because the draft is just 16 days out. So we're going to have a severe emphasis on the all-important weekend for each of our next 12 pre-draft shows. And a reminder that we'll have you guys covered first 
and most in-depth over any other Dolphins outlet in existence on the first round, on day two and day three, and we'll wrap it up with a cumulative draft show and a roster preview show on the Sunday night following the draft with all the priority free agents, undrafted free agents, as Miami looks to remake this roster under Chris Greer and Brian Flores. But let's go ahead and start there with this idea that I lifted from Daniel Jeremiah and the Move the Sticks podcast. It was he, Bucky Brooks, and their new addition to the show, Rhett Lewis, which by the way, if you guys aren't listening to that podcast and you're a draft fan, you are doing yourself a disservice. But the three of them together went through round by round and discussed their favorite prospects by each round as far as the entire NFL draft goes. So I'm going to do that with the Miami Dolphins for seven rounds, and we'll do three players in each of the first Let's call it four rounds and then trim the fat to one player after that for the final three rounds of the draft. And of course, the Dolphins currently do not possess a sixth round draft pick and they do have two seventh round draft picks. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump over to the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. It is titled Favorite Potential 2019 Dolphins Draft Prospects by Round. A bit of a mouthful, but of course this column is long and required a bunch of description in the title as well as the subheading. And just looking at the general premise of the article, it goes into talking about the Dolphins having several needs at several positions and they have to have plan B's, plan C's, and plan D's to mitigate unfulfilled plan A's because... They can run through these mock draft scenarios or the simulators all across the internet, but they do need to find a way to divulge their own personal plan, a horizontal board, to basically prepare for any type of code red situation that may occur on draft weekend because it happens all the time, just like Minka Fitzpatrick falling to them and just like Laramie Tunzel falling to them in the 2018 and 2016 drafts respectively. And they have to align those particular needs at those positions in accordance with where this draft's value comes down at. And if you ask me, the value of this draft comes in the 20 through 60 range. So right at the end of round one, up to the end of round two, and it comes on the offensive line, defensive line, and in the secondary, which wouldn't you know it, happens to be my three top positions of need outside of the quarterback position, which I do believe will not blossom until the 2020 draft class when Miami might have a better shot to get a guy they feel good about from a long-term perspective. Just don't think it can happen this year because I do think in order to go up and get a quarterback, it'll require a high trade-up to get Kyler Murray, and I'm not sure that's going to happen. But if the Dolphins want to find three starters in this 20-60 to range, I think they can do it. Of course, that would require a trade back because they have picks 13, 48, and 79 currently. It'd be nice to get back into that top 50 and make three selections in that 20 to 50 range as they are not set up to do so right now. I have five players that I consider unobtainable without a trade-up. I talked about Kyler Murray. I think that one's pretty obvious. I think Nick Bosa is pretty obvious. I think Quinnen Williams is pretty obvious. Josh Allen and Ed Oliver. So a quarterback and four defensive linemen for me are guys that that will go within the top 10, pretty much a guarantee that all five of those guys go that high and the Dolphins will not get a crack at them. And when we come back here on the other side of the podcast, we're going to look at each of these rounds, round by round, three players for the first four rounds, one player for the final three rounds. And what I did was I stacked a cumulative rank grade, if you will, on each of these players using big boards from the Draft Network, from Sports Illustrated, and USA Today. And we'll kick off the first round on the other side here of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, at Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fins.
I'm wondering how you guys watch the draft on Thursday in primetime, Friday in quasi-primetime, and then Saturday early in the morning for us on the West Coast, right around noon, I believe, for you all out there on the East Coast. I typically watch the first round with friends. I'm not sure it's going to happen this year because of my schedule. And then I'm pretty much locked in a barricade from rounds two through seven, breaking down what these picks mean for the Dolphins, the rest of the draft class, just for my own entertainment purposes. And now, of course, trying to prepare a podcast and article for each of these rounds as we go on here on Locked On Dolphins. I just probably prefer to watch it alone this year so I can get the work done in order to get you guys the information as fast as possible and the best information possible. And we start here with my favorite prospects by round, the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Of course, we are part of the Lockdown Podcast Network here. And we start in round one. And the very first guy I have on this list is an offensive lineman. And I'll go ahead and do my first round recap first because I think it requires this disclaimer that the truth is... There aren't really any feasible picks at number 13 that make me feel as excited as I did about Minka Fitzpatrick or Laramie Tunzel. I think the Dolphins have to strongly consider, even if they take short value on it, trading back in the first round because the 13th pick for what this team needs and where the draft will unfold to this point, at least from a projected standpoint, I just don't think it matches up with what their needs are and that parallel fit we talked about with position of need and overall draft value in the particular pool they're at at pick 13. So there's the caveat. But we start here with pick number 13, Garrett Bradbury, the center out of North Carolina State. He checks every single box for this offense. He would be a quintessential first pick under the new regime. He's intelligent, scheme diverse, has power and athleticism, and he has that potential to be a set and forget player at center. And the Dolphins want to be strong up the middle, but I think they could make this pick later on. So it might have to be in a trade back to really make me feel great about the selection. And then we kick outside further on the offensive line for player number two. We're going to talk about him as he is the prospect of the day later on. Jonah Williams out of Alabama. His cumulative big board rank across those three places was number 15. And going back to Bradbury, by the way, was number 32. I'm pretty surprised that Bradbury was that low. Some places are all over the map with him. But we go to Williams. Everybody loves this prospect. And I can pretty much see why. Has that mental aptitude. We know the Dolphins love the Blue Blood Pro program, particularly Alabama. And of course, this new regime is is new, but there is a lot of the scouting community or scouting staff still intact here with the Dolphins. I think Jonah Williams, one year as a freshman at right tackle, could provide dividends for this potential pick, and he could be the Dolphins' starting day one right tackle if they take him there. And the third guy I have, cumulative average big board rank is 36, is Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the safety out of Florida. We know he's a glove-like fit for the coverage scheme Miami wants to deploy. You have to have two things as a safety in this defense. You have to be able to come down and cover man up, and you have to be able to support against the run. Gardner-Johnson can do both. He's rangy, he's feisty, as a sticky man cover guy. I like his prospects if the Dolphins trade down once again. And then we go back into round two, pick 48, and I actually love this spot way more than I love the 13th pick in the draft. And we start here with a guy who, for my money, you guys all know this, could be a first-round draft pick. Jonathan Abram, the safety out of Mississippi State. His cumulative rank is 67th. He is just a violent, aggressive, but in-control tackler, and he can come down and cover in man coverage as well. I think he makes that fit just the way Chauncey Gardner-Johnson does. At safety as well, Juan Thornhill out of Virginia. His cumulative rank 
65. He's the opposite. He's more rangy, has those explosive metrics to play deep center field, can cover sideline to sideline, and has the tracking and ball skills you like. The third guy on my list, defensive end from Michigan, Chase Winovich. He is the 61st ranked cumulative big board guy among those three top those three sources I talked about. We go back to the football acumen, the high motor. He can play the run. He can play the pass. A base five technique defensive end in this defense. Love this portion of the draft. You can toss Boston College's Chris Lindstrom, Texas's Charles Amenahu, and Temple's Rocky Sin into this group as well. As we move forward into the third round, Dolphins pick 79th. I've got LJ Collier, the defensive end from Texas Christian, number 65 on the cumulative big board rank. He has the two traits that Patrick Graham spoke about, heavy hands and astute processing, which is eye discipline. Those two traits are his calling cards. He can play that five, four eye and three technique hybrid in this defense. Miles Sanders, the running back out of Penn State, 62 big board rank. He is, in my mind, well into the top 60. But that running back plunge that seems to happen every year could drop him down into the round, th- into the third round rather. He's an ideal fit for this backfield pass catcher out of the backfield, out of the slot, out wide. He's shifty and he's a problem for defenses on all three downs. Staying in the Big Ten, another safety out of Maryland, Darnell Savage. His cumulative rank is 59. I don't think he makes it this far, but the thought behind it is that the glut of safeties in round two could push him down the board. He has a penchant for the big hit. He can cover deep, and he has the ferocity this staff and regime will love. He's a terrific fit in Miami. Just like round two, I love this round. I want multiple picks here as well. You can put Oregon's Justin Hollins, Western Illinois' Kalen Sanders, and Michigan's David Long in this group as well. And then we move on to day number three, round number four. We kept three players here. This was based off of Draft Network's big board because I didn't have 150 players for all these big boards to work off of. We're starting with Chuma Adoga, the offensive tackle out of USC. He's a bit light and struggles with power, but he has an impressive kick slide and it was so impressive at the Senior Bowl. I had to put him on there. James Williams, also in the Pac-12, the running back out of Washington State. I've been talking about him in the sixth round. That's not going to happen. He's too good. He was the leader among all tailbacks in college football with catches and 83 catches that is he's a savant study out of the backfield he can run the field side and boundary side route combinations the wheels the corners the sticks the arrows he'd be an ideal pairing with Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balazs as the number three back another tight end this one from a different school not quite in the Pac-12 though they do fancy themselves Stanford South I'm talking of course about San Diego State tight end Kahali Waring, he is a physically fit, just phenom, a specimen at the position, the classic Y tight end, and would serve as a nice pairing with the Dolphins' flex tight end, Mike Gesicki. We go into round five. The Dolphins have picked 152 here. Center Lamont Gilliard out of Georgia. I think this is way too low for him to go, but that's where he came in on the big board rankings. He has the power to play the position. He can provide competition to Dan Kilgore, and I have seen the occasional flash of him hitting reach blocks, so he might be scheme diverse for you in that way. We go forward into round number six. Another favorite of mine, Eastern Michigan defensive end Max Crosby. He's a try-hard player, has those long arms and heavy hands that Patrick Graham has talked about, controls the point of attack, and can shed a block en route to the ball carrier, I think he has a chance to be a factor as a rotational five technique 
in this league. And the final round, Dolphins have two picks here, of course. Derek Beatty out of Kentucky, the cornerback, has already met with the Dolphins, and he has an eye towards the special teams position, could earn a roster spot that way. And he just adds one more body into that glut for the number two cornerback position behind Eric Rowe with Cordray Tankersley, with Cornell Armstrong, with Torrey McTire, and of course, with Jalen Davis. And that concludes my prospects by round. Again, it's very tough to not fall in love with multiple players this time of year. You have to try to carve out players that fit exactly what this Dolphins team wants to be. I still believe they're going to want to be a defensive-based, run-game-based team that can drop a rookie quarterback in in 2020. But nonetheless, we should probably get used to the fact that Miami might have a bit of a shift in the way they create prototypes for their positions on this new roster, as well as get comfortable with the fact that Miami is going to have a new draft approach to prioritize a large quantity of picks over the value of high picks in the draft. The draft is going to be the new lifeblood for the Dolphins as they attempt to go onward as possibly a heavyweight in the future of this rather precarious AFC East. And the truth be told of the matter is, that's how it should have been all along. Okay, we are going to come back here on the other side of the podcast and reintroduce a old but returning segment to the podcast. It's the prospect of the day. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. I think it was a few weeks ago I started a segment that was discontinued and I wanted to bring it back today and up until the draft on April 25 in Nashville and oh man I can't wait for that one one of my favorite weekends of the entire year let's go ahead and get into this prospect of the day a discontinued segment because of the heavy workload we've had over the last couple of weeks and of course that weekend the entire week, I should say, I had in Hawaii doing the wedding thing with the new Mrs. Wingfield. But let's go ahead and talk about this first round offensive lineman. He lands at number 21 for the Draft Network's big board. And on Daniel Jeremiah's big board, he comes in at number 15 overall. He is, of course, Jonah Williams out of Alabama. And could he be Miami's first round pick and the replacement for Jawan James? We know that left tackle is already spoken for by Laramie Tunzel, and that's what Williams wants to do. He said he wants to die on that hill that he can play left tackle, but he did play right tackle for one season as a freshman at Alabama, and he handled his own there as a young man fresh out of high school. He did an interview on the Move the Sticks podcast that was just so, so, so impressive. He talked about his play recall, going back to certain reps throughout the season, what he did well, what he could do to improve and get better on that rep, and he applied those lessons inside the game itself. And you look at the national championship game, he got beat up by Cleveland Furrow a little bit of Clemson and came back and handled him the rest of that game. He spoke with humility. He's looking forward to getting back to the football field, opposed to all these, his words, arbitrary measurements, although he understands it's a part of the process, but he is a football player and he's looking forward to getting back to playing football because that's what he loves to do. That's what he wants to do. And he expressed his own understanding that there's always going to be a guy when you come into the league that already has the job in front of you. And he's a grown man, a professional. You don't just show up and get that job. You have to show up and take it. And he's ready to work and grind and earn that position. He's worked this offseason with Joe Thomas, who has showed him a couple of 
faults in his game, if you will, some faults in his technique and how to get a better base and become more balanced. I thought that was fantastic to listen to. He talked about his own self-scouting, but also how much time he spends scouting other guys across the league. He's a methodical guy, once again, his words. So he's looking forward to getting to work and putting together his own database of player knowledge across the league. I found that comment very fascinating for a young man, 21, 22, whatever it might be, years old, to come into the league looking forward to finding out what the products are this league has to offer, the products he's going to have to prevent from getting to his quarterback. That is the type of player this Dolphins this Dolphins brass is just going to want and they're going to love and have guys like that in the building. You get enough of those guys, you get on that same page, and it goes back to yesterday's segment talking about the right 53 and the Green Bay Packers debacle under Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. Well, you get enough of these guys and you prevent that from being a thing that ever happens. We know about the Alabama pipeline with the scouting staff, who is really largely the same from what it was last year. Not the guys at the top, but the ones that do all the work on the road and put in the hours scouting at the actual locations. And who would be better suited to possibly protect Tua Tungavailoa's blindside next year than the guy that protected his front side this year at Alabama. Jonah Williams is our prospect of the day. But as for today's show, that is going to do it for me. We'll talk about Kevin Durant's seven players for Miami's front seven piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com tomorrow. You guys don't want to miss that. And we'll get deeper into this upcoming draft on the rest of the episodes up until April 25th. And to close out today's show, a couple of news items because... In the sake of full discretion behind how the sausage is made here at Locked On Dolphins, I don't always record these podcasts right before they get released. Sometimes there is plenty of pre-planning that goes into them, just as all last week was an entire week of pre-recorded shows. I am not in my usual setup on Mondays and Wednesdays, so the Tuesday and Thursday show, I try to have a little bit of preemptive preparation going into those shows and that's what happened here but of course as the Dolphins are always want to do they announced the signings at the exact wrong time for me in terms of this podcast and LockedOnDolphins.com so they did announce over the weekend the signing of Alabama Birmingham offensive lineman who was a graduate of Maryland and fills it out both with the Rams and the Jaguars in the NFL now gets a crack once again with the Dolphins potentially to compete for a swing tackle job or maybe even the right tackle job if things break in a certain way for this Dolphins team. Also on Monday, Miami announced the signing of wide receiver Ricardo Lewis. He came from the University of Auburn. He was drafted by the Cleveland Browns that one strange year when they took four receivers in one single draft. He was there for two years with the Browns when they were 1-31, and but he got a lot of playing time. It was actually the one guy out of that draft class, even more than Corey Coleman, that actually had an impact. He played roughly 900 snaps to the Browns in two years, but also contributed 330 snaps on special teams, so he figures to get a crack in that role as well to compete with Bryce Butler and Devontae Parker on the bottom end of the roster. And also, this just came across the desk as I record this podcast right around 5.30 Eastern time on Monday evening. The Dolphins signed former AAF sack leader J. Ron Elliott, who, if you guys will recall, spent some time with the Green Bay Packers, and he fits that Kyle Van Noy role almost to a T, built very similarly, has similar length to Van Noy, and he can play that same position Van Noy played, both as an off-ball and on ball linebacker and some of those 4-2, 3-2, even 3-3 sets the Patriots ran last year under Brian Flores. 
And the last addition made on this Monday was a international pathway player, a new program the NFL has that helps players from international programs like in Brazil, for instance, make their way onto NFL rosters. And the cool part about this is the player the Dolphins signed, he's a defensive tackle from Brazil. I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation. Derval Neto, I know that's probably not how you say it, but he comes from Brazil and he has practice squad exemption, which means the Dolphins can keep 10 practice squad players and Neto, who has that exemption, does not count against the roster. So he gets a full year to learn in the program here with the Dolphins coming up as the first player from Brazil to make this jump. So we'll have more on all this stuff on tomorrow's podcast, specifically the Jaron Elliott signing and Ricardo Lewis signings. I think Elliott is a almost surefire fit to make the football team. Lewis has an outside shot. The other two guys, probably not as much. That's what we'll talk more about Lewis and Elliott on tomorrow's podcast. But as far as today's podcast goes, that is going to be my time. If you guys have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, you can pull up the podcast right away. Just say, hey Siri, play Locked On Dolphins podcast for your daily dose. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. The show is at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Now-